G'day everyone and welcome to The Dan Show on Slice Radio. It's big episode number 14, so you know what that means. Before I go any further, I have to mention the Shift podcast with Denise Mills. It's the brandest newest thing playing on Slice Radio. Denise talks to people that have been through stuff. She does very in-depth interviews and they're fantastic. So check out the Shift podcast with Denise Mills. There's an episode out now and there'll be a new episode every two weeks for, you know, a couple of three months or so. It's tremendous. Check it out. Something else you can mark as new and ongoing is all the new music I'm adding to the radio stream. Every single week new songs are added to our library and they're all absolutely free to listen to from our apps or from sliceradio.com.au. Just search Slice Radio wherever you get apps and you'll get one. At the start I said it's episode 14 and you know what that means. Well apparently that means a chat with AP Mike Lisk. He is the associate producer of The Best Show with Tom Sharpling. You can listen to The Best Show at thebestshow.net. It's live every week or you can catch up with the podcast later. What's The Best Show? Well, how to describe it. It's part call-in, it's part improvised comedy, it's part written comedy, it's part just, uh, you know, chatting. But it's fantastic. It's one of my favourite all-time shows of all time. So check out The Best Show with AP Mike Lisk. But the star is Tom Sharpling. Mike's helping. For our second interview, I've got Paloma Basu and Rob Hatch-Miller. What have they been up to, you ask? Well, a couple of years ago, they made an amazing documentary called Other Music. About Other Music, which was a legendary New York destination music shop. Both of these chats are pretty long and pretty beefy with a lot of sustenance in them. So please enjoy. First up, AP Mike Lisk, and then Paloma and Rob from the Other Music documentary. Enjoy. I know you're going to. Sure. And how long ago was it? I mean, uh, I did this once before, right? I mean, yeah, about 10 years ago. 10 years. Wow. Time flies, right? Time flies when you're having fun in bits. (laughs) But I've started recording, so I should say we've got Mike Lisk here all the way from uh, Bayonne. He is the associate producer of The Best Show. And I still want to say The Best Show on uh, WFMU, you know. Does that make me a bad person, Mike? (laughs) No, it's a a reflex. I mean, we were there for many years and... uh... I think that's where most people first heard us. Although um, we've been doing it away from there for a while now too, so I guess we're about half and half. Fond memories of WFMU? Yes, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'd never been really involved in radio before, and I just sort of fell into this thing, and uh, it became a sensation, let's put it that way. I mean, I went into it just looking to have some fun, you know, some good times, a few laughs, and uh, it went places I never expected it to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I just, just uh, sometimes I put myself in your shoes and think, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm an average Joe. Um, I'm interested in this. I'm interested in that. And all of a sudden I find myself um, being made fun of. 
on, on the radio by one uh -huh. of the uh, one of the top making funners in the world, I think, um, Tom Sharpling. Uh, but obviously, you've got a very fond relationship, you two guys, right? Yeah. No, it's it's. I mean, it's fifteen fifteen years now. Yeah. Actually, going to, sixteen sixteen years. Yeah, it's been a fun 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 ride. In recent years, we've had a couple of additions to the uh, team. Although it's it's not a morning zoo type situation, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> it, it. I think I think I remember though when we were still at FMU, the first time I met Pat, um, Pat Pat Byrne. Yep. Um, he was a fan of the show, and I think he Tom had him in thinking he was going to put together a morning zoo it was like kind of a kind of a one-off i mean i don't i don't know how serious he was about really doing that but uh we sort of did a show and pat was there myself and i think that there may have been somebody else i can't even remember it, this was <laughs> a long time ago but uh so pat had a connection going back a ways uh jason gore dudio <laughs> came into the picture when tom needed to find a new home for the show and uh jason offered offered his services and tech technical uh know-how uh pat also is involved in the technical know-how me and tom uh are not really involved in that which is fine with me and tom i think <laughs> yeah sure but uh you know somebody's got to take care of the tech and uh jason and uh pat do that but they've uh, contributed and it, so actually, much. Actually, there's more. other. There's. Uh, I'm I'm leaving out. Um, okay, Martin. 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 That's right, Martin. Martin. You've absolutely. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm You've absolutely now. I don't see Martin on a regular basis, so he's sort of out of my mind, you know. Since I don't see him regularly, although I'm not seeing any anybody regularly at all now. Uh, with Tom is out in California, COVID is still sort of a concern. I've actually been dealing with my father has uh, health issues, so I'm not I'm not actually in Bayonne. I've been spending a lot of time in my hometown, uh, Howell, New Jersey, which is Central Jersey. Uh, so I'm able to do patch in. That's where I'm calling where I'm doing this from. Yeah, uh, at my father's house in uh, Howell. Well, sorry to hear about your dad. It's no good yeah. at all. But, uh, you know, as I saw in my day job, I won't tell you what it is, but I often say to elderly people, you know, you can get old or you can not get old. So you've got to mm -hmm. de decide which is the best way to go. But and who, who's, whose line is it? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm blanking on names, uh, talking about getting old. Uh, but somebody said that uh, getting old isn't for sissies and... Uh, I think they had a point, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's, it's and, not uh, easy, um, but it, it's it not has easy it. on the families involved. It's, it's, it's uh, just difficult part of it's, life. It's difficult. And it's, it's part of life. How do you think the show, uh, the best show has changed just in, in recent years with Tom out in LA and Jason soon to be out in LA Pat's still located in the area, more or less, New York? Yes, he's still, basically, Pat has been the one still going into the studio uh, to work the board during the show. 
Mm-hmm. So he's become a one-man operation at the studio uh, that we do this show out of. I don't know. I've had I've had people say they sort of like uh, us being remote because we we sort of are more involved in the show. Yeah. Um, that I can I come in. I mean, I literally had to come into this the room where Tom was at the studio to be on the air. I mean, I, w- I didn't have a, I didn't have a microphone, uh, where I answered the phones. Um, so now I'm sort of more directly connected to Tom during the whole show. Yeah. I mean, uh, but you know, I still sort of maintain, you know, the, let's just say I'm not coming in on every phone call. You know, I come in when Tom seems to want us to come in. I mean, he'll he'll have little segments. Generally, we've been doing in the beginning of the show a little roundtable uh, with the four of us, and uh, just get the get the show started. And then uh, occasionally we we pop in and out. And I guess it's a little easier now that we don't have to physically go into the room with him. You know? Yeah, yeah. We basically just uh, unmute our mics. And enjoy. Yeah, no, it's it's fun, you know. I mean, I, you know, it's it's fun having the interaction. I haven't looked far and wide, and uh, I know you hear this all the time, but I just I just can't. I have haven't not even found one show that's even a little bit like the best show. Have you? Like, could you <laughs> name anything? This this is going to sound odd, but uh, yeah. I mean. I'll listen to some podcasts if I see, you know, a certain podcast. I mean, I was listen- I listened to the Mark Marin show. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, Tom's been plugging the book, and uh, everybody should know the book is actually being sent out. So uh, you can uh, order your book and get it pretty soon, uh, even though it's not the official publication date, which is in July, I think. But um so Tom's been doing some promos on Mark Maron. I've been listening to that. I, I don't listen religiously to any other podcasts. No. Um, not, not that I, I, I think badly of them. I'm sure there are interesting ones out there. But uh, I don't have an office job anymore. And I think when I had an office job, I would be more active probably listening to things. But uh, I mean, mean, actually, that's how I got into the best show. I mean, somebody tipped me off that it was a good show. I mean, even though I knew FMU for whatever reason, because I listened to shows during the day at work, I didn't listen to the nighttime shows. So uh, somebody tipped me off to that show. And that's how I got into the best show. I just started listening to the archives during the day when I had an office job and uh, I had time sort of on my hands and I could do that. But now that I'm away from an office job, I don't find myself really eager to spend hours listening to podcasts. Um, yeah, like talking about the archives of the of the best show on WFMU, not only does uh, FMU have physical dusty archives, <laughs> but that part of the website always seemed dusty to me in some ways okay. because it was like real low tech. Like even uh-huh. even when I started listening in two thousand and nine ish, 
it just seemed real low tech. Like you had a one line description of the show for a three hour show, and then uh-huh, you just yeah. just hit play, and then the file would um would would play. It seemed uh, it seemed like I was in a well, secret secret spot, or something. Well, like the that. real player, right? I mean, is yeah, real player real still player. even a thing out there? I mean, it's that's kind of are they still out there? Real player? I think they still have it on the website, right? Yeah, and and on other. They, and, and, and on modern websites, it's it's very common to see similar things, similar low tech things, but uh, they they still look uh, far more um, advanced <laughs> th- uh-huh. than that old player. And I thought, oh, I'm in a secret place here. And um, some of those old shows, I couldn't get through them all, obviously, Mike. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I yeah, listened yeah. to a lot of the archives, and um, mm-hmm. it's if I ever uh, if I ever have a long holiday one day. Um, I'm hoping to go back and um, and revisit them, um, but when I joined, uh, you know, the best show community, and um, it was a good day that that particular day. I can remember, and I probably told you this in like 2010, but Tom was having a particularly difficult week, mm-hmm. and uh, it really drew me in because he was so fun. He was so funny. Uh, in all the adversity he he was uh, getting that that particular uh, week, so a miserable Tom is a funny Tom, but a happy Tom is also. Uh, you know, what do you think about his moods? Well, I think Tom has noted this many times on the show, and I think I'm like you that when he gets agitated, I think he's at his funniest. You know, so that, you know, not that I want him to be constantly in. An agitated state, but uh, it brings out the funniest parts of him, I think. And you know, he, I, he's aware of that. You know, he doesn't need me to tell him that. Uh, but I think he likes get getting the feedback from me when something is very funny, and it seems like those are the moments. And then he'll play. He'll play off of that. You know, I was like, oh, Mike. Mike is laughing out there. I can hear him laughing. You know when we used to be in the same space. I don't get a lot of, I can't really get that same vibe going with the uh, Zoom uh, show because, well, sometimes I'll leave the mic open while he's talking, so I'll be reacting in the background. But if I'm not talking, generally I mute my mic. So I'll be laughing, but he can't hear me laughing. Uh, so there's there's pluses and minuses of the uh the Zoom recording of the show now. Yes, I mean there's there's lots of differences, but it's fantastic and and I certainly remember, although I don't know whether I'm remembering correctly, Tom through that 2010 period seemed to be having a particularly hard time. He couldn't get a project off the ground, is my memory, and uh, and I couldn't get a project off the ground. So okay, uh, so we were going through similar things. Yeah. yeah. I really oh, okay. felt for him, even though, you know, I've not had really attained any sort of success <laughs> at time of report. Um, but I, I remember sympathising with him, you know, deal, dealing with desk desk jockeys and pencil pushers and all that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, it was really tremendous. But uh, he's very, very successful now, <laughs> wouldn't, you, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, no, I mean, he's... Uh... I, I take it you haven't read the book yet. No, I've ordered. I've got it shipped. It's, it's flying in from America. 
Okay. I, 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 yeah, they told me about the 6th or 8th of July, but it could be earlier because you've given me new info there. And um, yeah, my but you'll, fi- you'll find in the book that Tom has been through some things which are quite uh, harrowing, I would say. I'm not going to give it away anything, but it was it was things that I've never I was never uh, aware of. I, you know, I knew Tom early on. I got to know. I mean, we were strangers when we met, so it was a matter of getting to know each other. And uh, I realized right away that he was a private person, which is fine. I respect. You know, if somebody wants to have a private life and a and uh, you know a professional life separate, that's that's their choice, and I respect that. So I never really knew a lot of Tom's personal background. So you'll get that in this book. In respects to the listeners, I, I'm I'm just like the listener because I was not aware of certain things in Tom's life, and there are some very sort of uh, heart wrenching moments, let's say, in the book that uh, will be a revelation. Uh, I think I mentioned to Tom on the air that I wonder if this is going to change the tone of the show. Uh, Because, you know, there's very serious things that he discusses that he's never really delved into on the show. I, I mean, I guess he can technically just, you know, not really go into that on the show. But it's going to be interesting to see how he deals with that because i'm sure listeners are going to want to ask him about things and uh it may change i i said to tom on on one show i said this could change the the show completely and he kind of acknowledged that it could so that's going to be interesting so stay tuned (laughs) i'm plugging a book and uh future best shows i'm doing my part here for the best show you are absolutely doing your part (laughs) we'll get to we'll get to your plugs a little bit later (laughs) but uh everyone everyone has stuff they go through in uh, their life and uh, tom's like picked out nuggets um, of his week or of his month to um highlight on on the best show and um I just really don't think there's, well, I would just call him a performer. I just really don't think there's a another performer like him. I haven't come across him anyway. And I do listen to a lot of podcasts and and take in a lot of radio. And, uh, yes, he's a good man. He's a great man. But um, what do you think about Dudio being over on the West Coast? Is he going to be even more intolerable? I mean, be honest. <laughs> what are you trying to start fights here? What's going on? Hey, well, I wouldn't do. Hey, he's, he's my uh, coworker. I have to get along with everybody. I do get along fine with Dudio and Pat, and we have good working relationship. Uh, I do not. I'm not going to badmouth anybody here. Um, you don't feel as though he's that laugh though. Uh, I mean, you know, sometimes let's, it, let's, it, let's can we move on? I do not want to go down this road. <laughs> I'm joking, Mike. Big fights here. What's going on here? Hey, the only reason no, I, I mean, the only it, reason it, it'll be different when he's out in California. I wish him the best out there. And uh, things happen in people's lives. They 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 move on. I think you'll see the last of that um, Virginian uh, drawl uh, go. That'll be the 
that'll be the last little bit will go. But look, I'm I'm only throwing it in to be funny because I I know Jason um reasonably well. Okay, and, uh, okay. I was I was going to pull I didn't this. Know clip. what your motive was here? Uh, no, my motive my motive was to uh, get a laugh out of him when okay. I se- when I send him the clip. <laughs> yeah, I mean all the uh, the stuff that we do on the show is manufactured. You know, Tom started uh, from the get-go when we started working together to set up these conflicts. So it's a, a running gag on the show, and and it's not really reflective of reality. <laughs> no, I don't know how you couldn't love those guys. They're, um, <laughs> they're top guys as far as guys go. Let's talk about enjoying um, uh, media and entertainment. Uh Tom enjoys media and entertainment. You also, but they're sometimes very different media and entertainment, right? I mean, we 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 have we have different tastes, which I think makes for good ra- radio. We we have back and forths defending the things we like, which I think is interesting. Than if we just agreed with each other all the time, uh, so we defend uh, our uh, our taste. And I think that makes for good radio. Um, you know, I, I, I guess maybe he, I, I may be a little more highbrow than lowbrow. Yeah. Uh, and so he's always ribbing me about that. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a, again, it, it makes, I think it makes for good, good radio, just having a little debate about uh, what we like and, and then, you know, then the listeners get involved and then your social media people get involved. I mean, I don't know if you caught my whole, you know, I, I, I thought it was funny, you know, the, the snack list. You know, we yeah. did the snack list recently, three shows, three epic shows. <laughs> I mean, even, even, even when Tom suggested the topic, he, I think he, he, in the email to me, he said, this is almost like a parody Mm-hmm. of uh the best show you know doing the list and it turned into this epic thing of three shows and then controversy over the buttered roll being included on his list that uh, i felt prompted to do an alternative list on twitter and you know i was serious about my list you know for the f- first 49 choices you know i thought these were worthy snacks to include on my list some of them there was some you know crossover with Tom's list. It wasn't completely different. But um, I thought as a gag, you know, I would put as number one a non-snack item just to see what sort of reaction I would get to Twitter. And predictably, Twitter was outraged. You know, it's 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 so sort of, I guess, easy to prank Twitter that mm-hmm. even something as ridiculous as a snack list can prompt that, that outrage that is always at the ready, you know? So yeah, I put coleslaw at the top of my list. <laughs> then I walked away from the computer for a few hours just to let the, the outrage, you know, burn itself out. And uh, I, think I, even, I think I even fooled Tom. I think Tom, Tom didn't see through my, uh, my prank. And then, uh, and I came back and I, I, I gave uh, Cheez-Its uh, the number one spot. <laughs> but, uh, but that, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I can have fun even away from the show as a result of the show. And so, yeah, I mean, 
I'm generally not a fan of social media. Uh, I got involved with it because of uh, the show. Um, I mean, my first impressions of Facebook was that it was nonsense, you know, yeah. people posting photos of what they eat for lunch, mm. you know, like a, like a total time waster. And then, and then when you, you, you learn more about how social media works and how they know how they basically they're controlling people, uh, there's nothing really good to say about it. I mean, technically I'm, I'm still involved with it, uh, for the show. Um, you know, I guess technically I have a platform, which to me is just absurd. You know, I don't feel responsible for my views and, and they're my views only. They're not the, sh the show's views. Uh, but, but now it's like everybody, nobody can have a differing opinion. And if you have a differing opinion than what society is saying is popular now, then somehow you're going to be ostracized on social media. And I think it's, it's just a bad, a bad thing in general. Fortunately, I mean, uh, the amount of people on Twitter is, is only like 3% of the population. So, I mean, anybody who takes it too seriously uh, just has to remember that fact. You know, most people aren't on Twitter. Yeah. And I think you're that's somewhat a, wasting your time a little bit on Twitter if you. Yeah. Get, no, I, I agree. I, I think it's a complete waste of time. I try to just be stupid on there and, and keep things, things as dumb as possible. But uh, I think that's what it deserves. I mean, you can't have a serious dialogue on there. I found that out um, about important matters. Uh, so now I don't talk about things that are important. I talk about trivial stuff uh, and try and keep it lighthearted and funny. I'll make jabs at politicians. I think politicians should be jabbed at. I mean, if we can't mock our ruling class, well, you know, what's the point of having a voice, you know, to having an opinion? Uh, so uh, I'll do that occasionally, but it just seems like it's just uh, a very vindictive uh social space and really uh i can understand why people don't want to be involved with it at all yeah i tell every i've been on twitter uh when did i join twitter i guess about uh, a bit before the best show or somewhere there mm -hmm. before i joined the the community sounded like i joined a, a cult but anyway it is very much a community and it's very much listen if you want or listen if you don't <laughs> yeah know? it's just but uh but i tell anyone sort of going into twitter um don't take it too seriously it's not really important um mm -hmm. just have fun on there if you can yeah uh, yeah i mean sometimes you don't even know what's going to set off uh well like well i get i guess i showed with my coleslaw i mean you know it's like some people seems you know it's all feigned outrage on on twitter for the most part, but some people, you know, uh, the reactions I got to coleslaw, uh, just look at some of those reactions and you'll, you'll see that it's not, not, uh, something you should take seriously. It's a, it's a very, uh, 
It's a very odd choice, but obviously, as a joke, it worked really well. <laughs> Let's talk a, just a little bit about you. We won't delve into your past or anything, but you seem to have set up a nice life for yourself as you've gone through your life because you enjoy good books, good music. Hey, I'm, I'm not into prog rock, but I really wish I was because it sounds <laughs> like a nice time reclining over at Mike Lisk's place uh you know <laughs> well slap on slap on uh, you know a book a snack a nice little bowl of coleslaw and uh how do you think things are going for you mike without uh, <laughs> opening up any uh, demons well uh i guess I, I put up a good front because i have dealt with some significant hardships in my life yeah i'm, I'm going through some hardship right now Absolutely. Uh, but but um you know, part of it has to do with, uh, I guess, that uh, I never got married and I don't have children. So that frees up a lot of time, you know. Yeah. So with a lot of time, you can read more, uh, listen to music more and all those things. I have interests. I mean, I, I'm not a shut in. I like to get out and socialize. Um, I mean, I've been out of... I worked in publishing for many years, but uh, around the time I hit 50, uh, and I know other people around that age who went through the same experience I went through, uh, corporate America is done with you by the time they hit you hit 50. They want you out. And uh, that was my experience. Uh, I was also affected by outsourcing uh, in publishing a lot of work uh, has gone to um, India. Most books are, are, are done in India. And, you know, we sort, sort of, as I was, before I was being laid off, you know, we were sort of handing off the work and, and uh, working with people in India. Uh, but then, you know, the ultimate goal is that our department was... Uh, dissolved, you know, and the work went over to India. Our company was actually behind a lot of other publishing companies. So I sort of, uh, I guess, lasted longer in publishing, doing my type of work. I was a production editor. Uh, most of that work is done in India now for most, most pub publishers. Um, so, I mean, it, it was sort of a difficult time because I was 50 years old sure. and I couldn't, just start a new career career at 50. So that was that was a difficult period of time. I was out of work longer than I had been out of work in my life. I've always worked, uh, even since I was a teenager. So being out of work was was that was difficult. And that was right around the recession. That was uh, 2011. Yeah, uh, when I was laid off. So, you know, that was, that was a difficult period. Uh, and since then, I've sort of managed with multiple jobs, part-time jobs. I got into bartending. Uh, from that, I, I, I started working at the different stadiums in the area. I worked at MetLife Stadium, Prudential Center, uh, PNC. Uh, but then COVID hit. <laughs> yeah. And uh, all those jobs disappeared. Um, my uncle's bar, my, my uncle passed away in, in 2019. And uh, 
pretty much the bar is going to close soon. So that type of stuff disappeared. I've made money through the show, the radio show. That's been helpful, very helpful, actually. And I appreciate everybody who's supported me in that way. Yes, yeah, so uh, yeah, so I've even sent you a few bucks, Mike, <laughs> uh, for different bibs or bobs. Yeah, I guess you'd say I've been I've been hustling for the last ten years. I've sort of been hustling, you know, which I didn't expect to be doing in my fifties. I would say my fifties have turned out to be more chaotic than my twenties. You know, most people in their twenties, you know, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. And and my life was like that too. In my twenties, I was still kind of struggling. I had lots of student loans to pay back. Mm. Uh, The jobs I had didn't pay that well. And then I got into publishing and that doesn't pay very well. Uh, So that was a difficult period of time. But once, once I hit my thirties and forties and things were more financially uh, better, let's say, yeah, uh, I felt like, oh, okay, I, I'm finally kind of comfortable. I can enjoy my life. But then, uh, just as I was hitting that, uh, I got laid off. So, uh, so much for that. Yeah, and did did you think of making like a huge left turn, like? Um... I don't know what would be a huge left turn, like getting into health industry or something like that. I, I when I was out uh, initially, I was looking at all sorts of things. I was mm. going to these um, what are they career uh, uh, work Semin- uh, workshop. Oh yeah. Well, okay. it's it's like they they have them in hotels, you know, and yeah. and, and that's a de- depressing thing. Going to uh, what do they call it? Uh, Job fairs, they call them. Oh, I don't okay. know if they call them that over there. Have you been been to a job fair? No, but you, you, no. you see them. They sort of call them, uh, you know, seminars. Uh, if you but, really want to, I mean, it's, it, you know, I, I think it's helpful. You know, I mean, I would get, I would put the suit on and go, go to all these job fairs looking for work. And I'm looking at all sorts of things. Hmm. I even looked at, I don't know if I ever mentioned this on the show. I even looked at, there was a cemetery that was looking for people. And I had an interview at this cemetery. And I, you know, I, I was like, what, let's, let's check it out. I, I mean, I was checking out different things. Sure. And uh, it was an odd interview because I get to the building and um, it's locked up. You know, I mean, I'm there like 10 minutes before I'm supposed to be interviewed. And the door was locked. I'm like, what's going on here, you know? So I go back to my car and uh, I have to call the guy. He's inside. I don't know why he locked the door. I I don't even want to imagine. But <laughs> Ghosts. <laughs> but it's, it, you know, this is, it wasn't, it was during the work day. It wasn't uh, before they were open. So I, I don't know what was going on there. But they, they brought me around. I even spoke to a few, a few people. Uh, but, uh, but then it, it sort of boiled down to, they wanted me to start canvassing, <laughs> canvassing, uh, for the cemetery, you know, in my neighborhood, oh boy. you know, see if I can get people to, you know, Buy plot. you know, line up their, their, their plots yeah. before they die, which is, uh, <laughs> talk about the hard, the hard sales pitch, right? You know, imagine just going in cold to talk to people. About you know planning ahead. Hey, 
I mean, you know, it, it has to be done, you know, to be, you know, realistic about it. It's, it's something that is probably worth doing, but do pe do people want to talk to strangers about this willingly? Uh, I don't think so, you know? So that's when, when I realized that uh, that wasn't going to be my next career choice. But yeah, I mean, I went to these job fairs. I, I went, I was looking for different things. I ended up, you know, it just so the bartending and the, uh, and then with the stadium jobs and then even with the income from the best show, I was able to be comfortable, you know, not rich. I'm not rich, but uh, I was paying my bills and I felt like, oh, okay, you know, this wasn't what I planned, but here we are, you know, you're doing it. Um, and that, that's what everybody does though. I think, you know, it's like, you know, you, you sort of put yourself out there and you got to uh, uh, just find what you can find to keep things going. That's what I, that's what I did. Absolutely. Look, whenever I see a person who potentially made a, might've got um, punted or kicked out of a, uh, out of a, uh, you know, a well, well-paid job and they're doing a not very well-paid job i go out mm -hmm. of my way to be extra nice because mm -hmm. oh, i'm in that age age range too it could be me so um you know i don't i don't think it makes that much of a difference to to their it's, day but it's um, uh, it, it's got to be incredibly hard it, it's fairly common you know yeah, I mean, yeah sure uh, I, I you know when i i started i, I started just seeing there was documentaries about this about uh you know, people in their fifties who, you know, are suddenly thrust out into it, uh, have finding a new career and that type of thing. It's, uh, it became fairly common. Uh, so I went through it as well. My brother went through it. Yeah. Well, um, I, I do, I do anything yeah. just short of knocking over the wah-wah on the corner with a soap gun, um, to, to pay my mortgage. Uh -huh. There's not much I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. do to keep paying that mortgage because that yeah mortgage, well working working yeah. in these stadiums <laughs> working in these stadiums is not uh no you'd be surprised <laughs> surprised how half-assed uh the operations are yeah. that uh they kind of do throw people just out there without uh training um and it's just like you know sink or swim you know and a, and a lot of people do sort of it's sort of a, a revolving door of, of workers because they can always seem to find people uh but uh they don't treat their workers with a lot of respect that was my experience um which i guess sh shouldn't 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 really be too surprising since uh you're not making a lot of money and like i said they can always find new people to replace you uh they don't respect you really they you're you're just there to bring in the money uh which is sort of sad it's dumb it's dumb business um your experienced workers are going to be your best uh workers and um i don't know anyway i don't think society is going to make a huge correction in that area anytime soon but um, no I, we I agree anyway <laughs> we've got to let um we got to let Mike go. Uh, we've got to mention AP Mike 
ap.bandcamp.com. Uh, Why do I say that so slowly? apmike.bandcamp.com <laughs> um, is where you get all your uh, AP Mike uh, merch. And uh, what have we got at the moment? I'm just clicking on Mike. Oh, we've well, I've been got... doing doing some new sound files called My Strudel. Yeah, which I'm I'm sort of doing spoken word things and uh, doing sort of longer uh, anecdotes, uh, personal stories that uh, people seem to be enjoying. I put out a, three of them so far, and uh, I've got another one coming out soon. So that's uh, keeping me mentally alert, I guess, you sure. know, something else to, to get into. Although, speaking of ripoffs, I mean, you make the least amount of money on, on the actual music and uh, recordings on, on, my, uh, on uh, Bandcamp. I guess most people know this, but that's why the merch actually came in handy. The merch is where you can actually finally make a little, little money on Bandcamp. Because you're not making it on the recordings, because <laughs> Bandcamp takes their cut and it's a significant one. Yeah, you need to be turning over a lot, I think, uh, on uh, Bandcamp. And uh, what do you th is there? Is there a book? Is there a partnership? <laughs> a book to sit sit alongside um, Tom's book in your future, Mike? I'm, I'm, I'm no, I mean I, I'm ninety percent joking. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> Yeah, but I'm just saying because I've worked in publishing, you have to be a known entity to get a book book deal. And uh, yeah, I mean, what is my, uh, you know, I, I don't have much traction outside of the best show world. So uh, yeah, I don't see publishing companies investing in it. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is my way of sort of self-publishing. I'm doing these little recordings. What, what might be the name book. of it? So Tom's book is uh, It Never Ends. So say you want to rip that off. Well, it sometimes ends. Sometimes it ends. <laughs> no, I, well, <laughs> actually, somebody posted on Twitter, it ends as the title of my book. Yeah. But uh, I, thought, I thought a better title would be uh, It Gets Worse. You know, it would be, uh, <laughs> that would be my book, It Gets Worse. Just when you <laughs> think you're out of the woods. No, you're not out of the woods. And I think everybody can relate to this, right? You, you know, everybody's going to go through hardships. And you think once you've been through what you think is the worst possible thing to happen, no, life will surprise you. There are more th horrible things that can happen to you. So be ready. That is my uh, message to the people. Yeah, it came up. This came up a few weeks ago on The Best Show. And, you know, The Best Show is not always easy for me to uh, insert an anecdote. And, uh, I had mentioned that I had once had to get in contact with the Better Business Bureau after a trip to New Orleans. This was, this was many years ago. This was uh, in the late 90s. And um, I was going to Jazz Fest for several years. And one year, I, I'm pretty sure, uh, what's the big uh, Limp Biscuit song? Nookie? Nookie had just come out and so imagine hit, hitting you know we I had just gotten there before Jazz Fest I meet up with a friend on Bourbon Street and all the bars are playing Nookie uh, mm -hmm. which should have been a bad omen in itself <laughs> so anyway me and my friend commence drinking we're working our way, way down Bourbon Street 
Next thing you know, we're at uh, Larry Flint's Hustler Club. <laughs> and by this point, we're both sort of pretty uh, inebriated. So we enter uh, this strip club. And of course, once you walk through a strip club doors, just expect to be ripped off. I mean, because that's that's the way they work. You know, uh, you're going to lose a lot of money as soon as you walk through the door. They should have a, a stamper, you know, like sucker, you know, to <laughs> stamp across your forehead when you walk through a strip strip club's doors. But anyway, so, yeah, we get in, th- get in there before you know it. Here we are in the VIP room, which is oh, like goodness. the sucker's paradise. That's where they're really going to rip you off, right? Yeah. So uh, at the end of this uh, excursion, which, you know, inv- in, in, involved a uh, bottle of champagne, right? They, <laughs> that's, that's one of the ruses they used to, to, to pad out the bill, you know, the $100 uh, bottle of champagne. It probably cost <laughs> about $20. But anyway, I did get a receipt at the end of this uh, thing. Oh. And, and I was sensible enough to know that this receipt, I cannot lose this receipt for the rest of the weekend. So this this receipt traveled with me the entire weekend. I would I would take it out of my pocket because I knew when I got home and I got my bill from my credit card, they would have they were going to rip me off again <laughs> yeah, sure. because that's what strip clubs do. And sure enough, you know I'm I'm I'm, I'm you know going to different places in New Orleans. I'm having a great time. Have you ever been to New Orleans, Dan? I've not been to America. Oh, okay. <laughs> I haven't been there since Katrina, so this was pre-Katrina. Um, but it was it, it's a great time. I, I recommend everybody go there. Great. Uh, so, I, I mean, I saw Buzu Chavez and Bo Jacques. They have a, a, it's called the Rockin' Ball. It's still there, Mid-City Lanes. And they literally have uh, bowling lanes on, on the upper floor where a band will set up. And then downstairs, they have a lounge and they have a band set up there. So I have two bands going at at once. Great time. But I get back to Bayonne. I'm just waiting for that credit card bill. And here it is. You know, they they, they tacked on like several hundred more dollars. I'm like, I knew it. You know, you just know. I call it the shame tax. I think anything related to... uh, let's say sex commerce. Yeah, sure. <laughs> they feel like people will be too ashamed to complain about it. So, you know, and, and I guess in some of these strip clubs, they can do it because people are going to be too drunk to remember or they won't have the receipt. And so they just openly try to rip them off. Mm. And uh, I, I did have enough sense to know that that was going to happen. Uh, the fact that I was in New Jersey now was not encouraging but i literally called the club i said hey you know i got this uh, bill you ripped me off for you know a few more hundred dollars i'm gonna call the better business bureau <laughs> i made that threat on a phone from new jersey you know like how how, how much weight can that have but it, it it had weight because uh they you know i guess because they they know that that's what they do they basically admitted their guilt and and refunded me the amount of money. And uh, the threat of the Better Business Bureau worked to my advantage for once. Yes. 
I've had to do that a few times myself. Really? Wow. In, okay. Instead of getting upset, I like to be um, not really polite about it, but really casual about it. I normal, I'll normally say, uh, now, this isn't right. I think we both know it's not right. Now, I'm talking to you now and I'm asking you to fix this up. And then the very next call I'm going to be making is to, we call it fair trading. We have, we go state oh, okay. by state, state by mm -hmm. state has one. Yeah, I'm going to be calling fair trading. And um, I think you know which way this is going to go. <laughs> yeah, so I right. just I just like that. And um Well, I think it's 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 Is a, that threatening? I'm not trying to be threatening. No, no, you're being polite. <laughs> and, I, and I was polite. I mean, I I I didn't call them and start shouting that at them, but I was I was insistent that uh I was not going to leave the matter as it is and uh it got results. So uh keep that in mind next time you get ripped off. <laughs> yeah, the last thing it was when I had solar panels put on. Is that a thing in America? I guess it is. Yeah, actually, my, my father's house has solar panels. And uh, the inverter needed to be within 15 metres of, uh, of where it came off the roof. And so they put it three metres, but they left it in the, in the sun, in the black, and, mm -hmm. you know, the inverters can't go in the sun. And so, you know, complain, 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 complain. And then finally, because I wouldn't pay, they came and moved it. And okay. then the guy said, but it's got to be within 15 metres. <laughs> and I said, but it is. You just moved it. So why right. were we – I just laughed at him. I said, why are we arguing all this time? It's yeah. so much, you know, I mean, I understand it's a moderately large job. It took two men two hours to do, so mm -hmm. that's four man hours. So that's a few bucks of electricians' prices. Mm -hmm. um, they, they could admit know, they did it wrong the first time. Yeah, you know? I said, you know, um, you know th this is a three-month scrap uh, over, over, over nothing, and I just I can't leave it out there. It's going mm -hmm. to burn up in the sun. Like, so I just laughed. I said, you know, I said, why, why, why are we doing this? But he didn't feel the same. <laughs> uh -huh. Okay. So we we didn't we didn't part as in enemies, but well, anyway, I gotta give you credit for sticking out for a three month a three month complaint to get oh, it done, but but it worked. You know, we're you, talking you, about some. Uh, we're talking about you know a, a fair few thousands of dollars. <laughs> so, well, yeah. well, that's good. More reason to do it, right? Yeah. But you you stuck to your guns and and you made it happen. That's the yeah, main but, thing. Uh, you know, I'm not a bad guy, Mike. <laughs> no, but it, but when money like that is concerned, you have to you have to be uh, persistent. Let's do it right. And uh, so, look, I I commend you. I haven't been to a a strip club in quite a number of <laughs> decades. Well, um, this was decades ago too for me. Yeah. I mean, you know, let's let's make make clear that uh, we're talking about uh, the late nineties. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was the style at the time. <laughs> Anything else you've got prepared for us, Mike? No, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a great. I just wanted to. I thought maybe that story. People have been asking about that story, so I, I want to finally put it out there for people. It's a, it's a fantastic story. I you love got the exclusive, Dan. I love when you get one back on <laughs> back on the bad guys, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, it's a. Uh, it's a but it's a cautionary tale, you know. Just be, keep those receipts. Yeah, so I think I remember um, 
bees were like two dollars and their bees were like five dollars and oh yeah were, everything yeah. again it's 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 what i call the shame tax i don't know if you do you still have cable te television People yeah I'm, are sure getting away. Still, I'm sure it still exists but it, with with cable you know when you you go on for the uh, pay-per-view right mm. they have the adult section right yeah. so they have adult movies why 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 would you have to pay say 9.99 for an adult movie which has even less of a time frame that you can watch it versus watching a uh, you know a mainstream movie for uh, for 5.99 oh, how crazy. do they justify that that added expense it should be called the shame if anything yeah it should be exactly I call it the shame tax because <laughs> who are you going to complain to, right? You can complain to the the cable company, but they'll just laugh at you. Like we've got we've got this idiot complaining because he he rented twelve inch gobblers, and uh, you know he's complaining about the price he paid for it nine ninety nine for six hours when he thinks he should get it for five ninety nine for twenty four hours, like a regular movie. You know, I mean, it's not going to work. You, you, they just know you can't complain about those types of things. Yeah, but uh, but uh, some people do, but most people don't. So they run with the odds, right? It just yeah, it's just they 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 have got to suffer in shame, you know. <laughs> but but uh, a few hundred dollars tacked onto your bill—that was that's very bold of them. Well, it's they 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 probably you know they, 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 I'm sure our inebriated state was noted. That these might make a couple of good suckers because mm. they're, you know, they've been drinking all afternoon. Um, now we're well into the evening. Uh, so, yeah, I think, I think we were sized up as a potential mark and uh, they took their shot. And that is the takeaway from this chat. Do not mess with AP Mike. <laughs> uh, he will get you back. <laughs> <laughs> You're not being addictive. Save your receipts. Save your receipts. Yeah, sure. Save your receipts. Um, back in those days, uh, that would be quite a job uh, because um, you did, not everyone had a good receipt spot. I, I eventually um, employed a, an old ice cream tub, old <laughs> tub of ice cream, okay. and I used to just toss oh, my, okay. yeah, like an empty tub, obviously, and uh, I just toss my oh, receipts okay. in there, and I found it worked very well. Where were the receipts? There's only one place to think about in the tub. That's where the that's where the receipts okay, were. All right, hey. But now you're an organized guy. I've never I've never thought of that one. Oh Mike, in my twenties I could never be accused of being an organized guy. Well, anyway, nobody is in their twenties. Forget about it. I had a very nice time. That's what that's what I tell workmates and stuff like that. If they if they ever quiz me on my um, musical career or, or um, all that sort of stuff, I, I'll just say I had a I had a very nice time. Thank you. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, details uh, can be harrowing. Well, Mike, we better let you go. And that was tremendous. Okay. Uh, thank you so much uh, all right. for your time. And we'll talk. Well, in another ten years, let's let's set it up. <laughs> okay, another 10 years. <laughs> All right, Dan, always a pleasure. Always. I've got uh, Paloma Basu and Rob Hatch-Miller from what's the company called these days? 
Oh, we are our little production yeah. company is called Production Company Productions. Oh, we're still doing that. Very, very good. And um, they've joined me happily for a chat about other music documentary or the other music documentary, which is who wants to give me the spiel? The one paragraph. It's a documentary about uh, one of the greatest record stores that's ever existed on earth. Um, and uh, yeah, we were just very lucky. It was a big place in our lives. Uh, it was a place, it was a store in New York City um, that was hugely important to the music scene in New York in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, I always tell people, you know, what CBGB's was to the punk scene in New York in 77, other music was to the, the sort of post 9-11, um, you know, explosion of New York bands like the AAS, Interpol, uh, Vampire Weekend, Animal the Collective, The Strokes, um, all these groups. Other music was sort of the heart of the scene at that time. Yeah, the film just sort of documents the 20 year history of this super influential, very cool, fun, bit snobby record store. <laughs> um, and uh, it's kind of rise and fall. We're just trying to make sure that people remember it as, as this legendary place that it was. Yes, it sounds amazing, and it doesn't look very amazing. Um, but I guess that, that's, that brings me around neatly a lot more early in the conversation to gentrification. I've seen it in the capital city closest to me, but I haven't experienced it um, face to face, but I guess you guys have. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's hard. We always feel weird about using the word gentrification because it's sort of, you know, you think about that in like here in Los Angeles where we live now with like these um, Latino neighborhoods where, you know, the people are getting displaced. It's hard to think about like downtown Manhattan, which was already so kind of, um, you know, expensive and fancy at the time that, that other music existed. The, the idea that like a music store could get gentrified out of this like, you know, rich shopping district is, you know, that doesn't seem as important, but it is very real, you know. Manhattan be has become um, a place where it's hard to have like a unique independent business, you know. It's like chain stores and very, very high-end retail to the point where landlords in downtown Manhattan, they just won't rent the storefront yeah. if it's not getting rented to Prada or something. They'll just leave it empty. <laughs> which you're seeing a lot in New York now. Um, the, the business that replaced, that, that took over the space after other music closed, which actually it, it was empty for over two years, the space. Um, and then they finally rented it to a place and then that business failed during the pandemic. So now it's empty again. <laughs> so yeah. we'll see what comes there next. Yeah, yeah I mean, I heard... Uh, yeah. I heard the number $20,000 a month chucked around in there. Yeah. Was, was that right? So that's a lot for most stores, except maybe a high-end jewellery store or something. I mean, I don't know. It's a yeah. lot of money. And that store didn't look that big, although it's probably bigger than it looks. So can I ask the it's obvious question? It's not. It's, it, it's actually not bigger than it looks. It's just <laughs> as small as it looks. Yeah, just a, just a couple hundred square feet. Um, you know, it's like the size of, you know, a fast food restaurant, like <laughs> dining room, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not very big. So can the owners are Josh Medell and Chris Bandaloo, which is a very fun name yeah. Chris has got. Uh, we can all agree. Why not just move? It's the obvious question. You, you're going to tell me that. 
um, they, you know, I think they were kind of like, well, if they moved, the, the problem that they were facing was going to keep happening, which is basically that they, as a business model, had always focused on new music. And it was just getting harder and harder to sustain that business yeah. model because, you know, most most record stores make their money with used records mostly because you don't really make that much money off of new records. So, yeah, so if they wanted to keep the business alive, they would have had to change their entire philosophy. And, you know, Josh was really ready to move on from retail. He, he'd been doing it his whole life and wanted to try something else. So it just seemed like a good time for them to say their, their model was also, it wasn't just new music. It was just turning on people to new music. Yeah. It was discovery. They were curators. And mm -hmm. in this contemporary culture with, you know, with the film tracks this, you know, they opened kind of at the dawn of the internet age. And initially they were able to sort of use, you know, what now seem like very primitive things like, you know, emails where they would kind of drive the conversation around indie music to the point where they really influenced places like Pitchfork and these really, these websites that helped music explode, that they found out about music from other music. Um, but, you know, by the time the store closed in 2016, you know, the conversation was somewhere completely different, you know, discovery of new music is now driven by Spotify and all these other things. And, and the record stores that are doing well, they're basically selling like a collectible where you go, you you like this record that you're listening to streaming and you want to buy the $30 colored vinyl edition of it. And lots of people are buying those nowadays, yeah. but for other music, I think that they, they, they just were like, we're not going to drive the conversation around music anymore the way that we used to. And that's why we started yeah. this store. So, you know, we, the, why, why just be like a collectible store for people to come in and get the new yeah. Taylor Swift record store day release or whatever. Exactly. Now, before I clicked go uh, uh, and watch the documentary, I really expected to see just a procession of Harvey Picar style, uh, you know, older white dudes, quite frankly, uh, come past talking about this jazz album and that classical album. Because, I, you, know, I, you know, all movies I like to do almost zero research, you know, because you know, I just like to discover a movie. Or, or take like a personal recommendation from a friend or co-worker. But it was far from that. It was lots of cool people, lots of cool non-famous people, which are the most coolest people I find. But then lots of cool people that are famous, um, Ezra Koenig, Jason Schwartzman, he gets on everything, Benicio, Benicio Del Toro. And I, was, I swear to myself I wasn't going to muck up his name. It's a perfectly normal name, Benicio Del Toro. Regina Spector, it was nice to see her. So um, it must have been very exciting putting the movie together, talking to all these people as well as all these um, cool uh, music, not nerds. I said not nerds. Not nerds. <laughs> no. You know, it was such a destination, you know, being this sort of tastemaker record store downtown New York with a very diverse staff of, you know, young people who were musicians or DJs, you know, they, they hired women, they hired lots of people that weren't just white, you know, yeah. jazz nerds. They kind of tried to touch on every genre. And because of that, um, it was a destination for, you know, every artist that would come through town would come in, you know, you would see like 
the guys from Radiohead come in to buy music when they're in New York. Or I remember one day when I worked there, um, the final Lord of the Rings film was coming out and um, um, uh, Elijah Wood showed up. He was a regular customer, but he showed up the weekend that that final Lord of the Rings film was released with all of the hobbits. So there's like all five, four or five of the main hobbits from those movies. They came into the store together and (laughs) we were all just like, oh my God, it's all of the hobbits. Um, Could they see over the, could they see over the counter or did you? (laughs) You No, it's funny. It's a, it's all movie tricks. They're not really that short. (laughs) Um, I believe you. You know, that kind of thing happened all the time. It was like, you know, Mos Def was like in the store all the time and Questlove was in the store all the time and Bjork Bjork, was there all the time. So, you know, it was this really like pulsating, amazing place. And um, even at the end, you know, when it, you know, 2016 other music was not um, at the vanguard of like the music scene the way that it was when I worked there in 2002, 2003, but it was still, you know, you still have these huge superstars just kind of like waltzing in every now and then. Like the Benicio del Toro thing. It it was like, we didn't know he was going to come in. He just came into shop. So. Which he did whenever he was in town for years. So that, you know, I caught that like totally randomly. (laughs) That's very cool. They're all cool. Everyone was cool. I felt very uncool, but um, it was a great documentary. I loved it. It, it seemed like an easy shoot. Uh, I don't know why I think that, but were there any challenges? Money. <laughs> yeah. uh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, we made this film knowing that it was going to be seen by a lot of people and that people were going to be really excited by it. You know, it was, it really had a huge release here in the States online last year during the pandemic. And I think it resonated with people particularly because small businesses were shuttered at the time that it was released. So like people really connected with it. And, um, but you know, the film industry didn't believe in it at all. And they thought, you know, Oh, these are small indie artists. Nobody cares about these bands. The, you know, so it was really hard to get any kind of financial support, which was initially we were like, Oh, finally we have this topic that everybody's, gonna think is fascinating and music get so much support yeah. but we 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 didn't it was as, as hard a struggle to get any kind of which is financing bas- for this film as anything yeah which is basically just how it goes with music films you know unless you're making a movie about taylor swift or someone like that it's like it's gonna be a struggle right or like you know edgar wright has a new film about sparks a no, band probably. that if it wasn't edgar wright directing it you know, no studio would have paid for that movie to be made about yeah. Sparks. So I know. I can't um, I can't wait to see that one. And it's uh, great. It's really great. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of it's fun. Great. I bet yeah. it's great. But other than money, it was a it was a very, you know, easy shoot because, you know, like I said, I worked at this store when I was in my late teens and early twenties. Paloma knew the people there really well. Mm. So um, so we already had relationships and we yeah. just kind of showed up for the last six weeks. The store was in business and just hung out all day. Yeah, they day. just kind of trusted us because, you know, they, they'd known us for years. And I think that that really worked because they kind of forgot we were there, you know, because we didn't, we were not like, I don't know, some outsider coming in, you know, so they didn't, mm. um, 
they didn't feel like after a couple of days, they just got used to the whole thing. And, and they basically just started acting like themselves. And it was the best thing that could have happened. Yeah, I, I, I never know how to walk on. I'm very rarely filmed, but I can never, the minute the camera, I start walking funny. You probably experienced this with other people that you've tried to film. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, hopefully one day I can walk like a human uh, when I'm being filmed, but uh, I'm not holding out much hope. So I, I wanted to say something like, this wasn't a documentary about music. This is a documentary about people. But I really think it was a documentary about music, <laughs> you know, and, and the people that love it. Yeah. It's a very deep dive into um, into music fans, and I think that's good. Uh, what do you think? But there were people in it too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. You know, I think we wanted, you know, for, for us, like making a documentary is about preserving something, you know, and for us it was about preserving the legacy of the store that wasn't going to exist anymore, but it was also just about documenting you know, what it's like to hang out in a really cool record store with really cool people who know mm. a ton about music. So um, it is, it's about music and the people who love it and the people that are passionate about it. And yeah. yeah and, and I think that it's also like, you know, um, relatable to most people because I think most people are passionate about something. If it's not music, it's, it's something else. And, and so I do think that even if you're not like a rec rec record store person, if you're just really into like an independent bookstore or whatever, um, there is there is a place for most people that it would resonate with them. They they would be like, okay, I get this passion, I get this fervor, you know. For us, it would have been the same if it was like about a great cheese store and the people yeah. that you know <laughs> the people that have uh, this deep knowledge of all the cheeses of the world, you know. Um, and I guess one important distinction is that it is about music, not about records or record collecting. Yeah. Um, because for this, the store was a people that cared about music and the owners of the store were never like bitter about streaming or MP3s. They tried to embrace it. Um, yeah. they just love music. They don't care about the format, whether it's CD or cassette or streaming yeah. or vinyl or whatever. It's just a passion for music. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was fantastic. I did I did catch that. But we're given away a lot about this documentary and we've got to remember to tell people uh now what's the best place to to stream the documentary? Right now, if you're in Australia, um you can rent the movie on Vimeo on demand. Um we I do think it's expanding to maybe some iTunes and some other uh, platforms um, here in the United States, you can stream it on Amazon Prime Video and on Canopy, which is a great um, it's a it's a great free streaming service that um, you can get with a library card or a university ID. So um, tons of people can get access to the film that way without having to pay a corporation, um, you know, for free shipping. Um, but um, yeah, th those are the primary ways to see it right now. Yeah, good. Yeah. And I read somewhere about the soundtrack. Did you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, well, for, record, for Record Store Day, we released um, a vinyl soundtrack, which um, is it's live music from the film. The movie has a lot of uh, live in-store performances because other music hosted a lot of bands in the store. Um, 
So that's in the film. And we decided basically, instead of using these songs that are already on other records that are in the film, we would just, just um, put full versions of these live performances from bands like um, Neutral Milk Hotel, Gary Wilson, who's this really cool sort of like new wave outsider uh, musician. It's his very uncategorizable, just great fun music. Um, and then the B side of the record is songs from the the uh, farewell concert that the store hosted when they closed. Um, very cool. so songs by um, three of the artists that performed. It's Sharon Van Etten, Bill Callahan from Smog, and then Yola Tango. Wow. It's yeah. all very good. It's all very exciting. That sounds like yeah. a good time listening to that. And the soundtrack is a physical only vinyl record with a DVD of the movie. Um, it was released for Record Store Day here in the United States, but people can get it on uh, anywhere in the world through eBay or Discogs now. Tremendous. Now, moving on to your next project, I hear for Marvel, that's why I put this beanie on, apart <laughs> from it being like minus two outside, um, not minus two Fahrenheit. <laughs> that would be atrocious. Uh, that you're... You guys are getting involved in a Wally Wackerman uh, movie for Marvel. Yeah, it's Ploma true. Ploma, uh, Ploma, uh, Ploma yeah, can the, 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 the Galaxy it, 3. The Marvel executives saw our documentary and they were like, these are the guys for the job, I guess. I don't know. Um, it's, it's, um, yeah. I, oh. You know, it's funny that you bring up <laughs> Wally Wackerman. <laughs> because I'm, I am, I am working on a project that um, that Wally Wackyman would would fit right into. Um, yeah. But uh, but he sadly is not a part of it. Um, oh. It's a um, I don't know what it's going to be yet, but I'm doing a, a, a some kind of a documentary. I don't know if it's a short or a something longer with the Jim Henson Company um, about their. Um, they they do this puppeteer training camp every few years for yeah i've seen them i don't know whether i've seen that one yeah yeah they've they've done it uh only once before they did it in 2015 and they're they're, they uh they had a casting they had a kind of open application process uh during the pandemic and they're hosting this puppeteer training camp in los angeles next month so i'm going to be filming that for a project um wally wackyman and zach wallner are not among the puppeteers um but you know hey it's it it's funny how puppetry remains a large part of my life yeah yeah i'm a puppeteer anytime rob Rob works on um any puppet thing he taunts he he like texts zach and taunts him oh my gosh (laughs) it's really bad i worked on another jim henson uh i guess secret project that i'm not allowed to talk about um a uh classic jim henson series um and uh i was texting the wally wackyman's uh creator you know secrets from behind the scenes <laughs> yes well he would uh, he's a he's a great guy he's a fun guy he'll never let go of his passion for puppets nor he shall should. i no what, what would you puppeteers are fascinating and and you know the connection between a puppeteer and their puppet is fascinating mm. so well, i'm going to get my pup i'm going to get my puppet out and give you guys a little video shout uh-huh. out 
he hasn't been out of his box for quite a few years. I've been threatening, and now I've now I've got a reason. Um, well, him, he, she, he, he's not really. He's 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 binary. So, what else should we look out for from you guys? The um, the Sil Johnson documentary, right? Yeah, we made a film about this artist, Sil Johnson. Um, it's you can't find it online at the moment, uh, ah. but uh, the trailer's up. And then you know we have lots of music videos that we've made. Um, we're directing a music video uh, next week. I, for um, it, can I say we're directing a music video, another music video for for Amy Mann. Oh, um, and um, yeah, we. You know, there's always things simmering. Yeah. You know, yeah, we have some we have some um, ideas for our next big project that we would really like um, to not have to raise every dollar ourselves for our next thing. So we want to find a, a topic where we can get someone to help us make it mm. and not just do every single thing ourselves. For a change. What are those? Um, I've often, uh, well, not imagined, but had nightmares about what those fundraising, you know, when you go in and you have the general meetings and you say, like, do you mind giving us 300 grand and, and stuff like that? I guess you go in with a business plan and everything and, and make it make it work on paper, don't you? Would you, you? Actually, in my experience, it's usually you just go in with an idea and then it's like, oh. uh, you know. It, that's all that they care about at first. Yeah, and then, you know, they either want it or they don't. Um, in L.A. here, they like to say, oh, great, yeah, like, we love it. We'll be in touch. And then <laughs> then you never hear from them again. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's it's a, it's a tough business. But, you know, yeah, we, we had our first real experience before the pandemic of pitching a project um, for a thing we wanted to do with stand-up comedian uh, Todd Berry. Um, that we might still do sometime, but but we pitched it to some of the bigger companies, and they 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 weren't they didn't go for it. Yeah. But um, but, but it was fun to talking. hang out with. Yeah, it was fun to hang out with Todd all day. Yeah, it was <laughs> fun to go to the Netflix building with Todd Berry. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and you know, of course, we're always like uh, talking about more projects with Tom Sharpling, and you know, more projects of our own. And now that the pandemic is, um, uh, you know not as horrifically bad as it as it has been yeah. you know there's more opportunities to sort of like leave the house and make things yeah know. all of a sudden both rob and i have a lot of um work to do which over this last year you know it was not that way yeah for us the passion is in the the process of of making the stuff so we're excited to kind of get back out and yeah yeah I, I, I noticed um there's a couple of uh, editors on this. I don't know whether that's how you guys normally work. Uh, Amy Scott and Greg King, Scotty and Kingo, as I'm calling them. <laughs> and um, you handed it over to them to edit. What was the reason for that? Not so, it's not a bad thing. I'm just asking. <laughs> um, well, you know, like it's it's always really good to have uh, especially for a documentary, the editors are in, incredibly important. Um, and, you know, we shot every single thing ourselves. We were really close to the whole thing and we just needed somebody to have fresh eyes 
and help us organize it, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that we, even for our other film, we had an editor, you know, we, we tend to, for our documentary stuff, prefer to work with an editor. Um, Cause it's always good to have someone else who has a good brain <laughs> to, to think it all out with you. Yeah. And with the documentary, you don't have a script or a shot list most yeah. of the time. So it's not as um, straightforward to put it together. Um, you know, when we're making a music video, as long as I have time, we go into those things with most of the time, such a specific plan um, that it, you know, I, I can be the one to put it together. But with a documentary, um, you know, you don't know what you're filming when you're filming it. And it helps to have somebody take the material and put it together, even for you to just say, no, that's not what I wanted. Let's do something. It, it gives you a starting point at the very least. But in at its best, you know, for a documentary feature, the editor is really as important as the director. And some of your favorite documentaries you've ever seen, the editor might have really kind of made the movie good not the director uh, there's specific yeah. ones that i know of by edited by people that i know who told me that director did not know what the hell they were doing these are some some films that are considered like the best documentaries of all time yeah um the editor is as much the author as the director so we re i really respect documentary editors more than almost you know any um other you know position in the field you know to me like a documentary editor is as impressive as like an auteur you know um paul thomas anderson kind of filmmaker like they're just as brilliant yeah god that list is all over the internet right now the pta list <laughs> yeah. you got to give me your top i suppose what's your top yeah. pta I'd, I'd have to go back and rewatch all of them yeah, to say for we sure. haven't got time for that <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been too long since I've seen, like, you know, Hard Eight. Like, I think I saw that 20 years ago or more. Yeah, I, I love, um, I mean, I'd probably say, I mean, Boogie Nights was such an important film to me at the time yeah. that it came out that I'd have to rewatch it to know for sure. I'd probably put that at the top. But, I, you know, I also, he's somebody who I really just like all of his films. So, you know, I loved The Master. I loved Inherent Vice. I loved... Yeah, um, I loved Inherent Vice. Phantom Thread was phenomenal. Yeah, just was. a movie that I did not expect to like. And I think we both kind of like dragged our feet with watching it because we were like, oh, period piece, dressmaker. Like, it's got to be kind of like stiff, but it's not. It's a very demented uh, <laughs> film with a very twisted ending. And it's pretty, pretty fun. Yeah, it's a great movie. I don't know. I, I struggle with making lists like that. Like it's it's just too hard. He hasn't made a bad one that I can think of. Although Hard Eight maybe is like not the most fully that, yeah people seem fully to think, realized. Yeah. People seem to think that one was not good, <laughs> but I think it had a lot of like interference from you know the studio. studio and stuff. You can't interfere with PTA. When are people going to learn that? Well, they might have finally they, learned. They that. know now. They don't. He's he's one of those rare people who's probably pretty much allowed to do what he wants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and some of his, you know, there's a lot of money that goes into some of those PTA films. So it's not as though it's like a thirteen dollar budget or something, a thirteen million dollar budget or something like that. It's a, it's no, a lot I would of money. Say actually, that I would put Magnolia at the bottom. 
because when I watched it, I really hated it. But I've been meaning to rewatch that for a long yeah, time. I loved it. I loved Magnolia. I haven't seen a couple of them. I haven't seen Inherent Vice all the way through. Not because I didn't like it, because I just got uh, uh, I just got sidetracked and then never got back to it. I thought as long as I live and it lives, we'll catch up. But uh, yeah, I suppose I like uh, There Will Be Blood the most. I don't know why, but it's a good one. They're all good ones. Go and see PTA's films and <laughs> make, make sure that you uh, see other music um, by Paloma and Rob because it's very, very good and it's a quality thing. And, uh, look, you'll enjoy it, right? Oh, I, I hope so. It, people seem to love it whether they care about record stores or not. Um, yeah. You know, we've had... We had people at, at film festival screenings who said, I've never been in a record store in my life, and I was crying by the end of the movie because I just love this place so much. Yeah, and, and, you know, we had one screening where, um, you know, afterwards we kind of much later in the day, we went to the record store that was across the street from the theater that it played at. And the, the owner, the guy that was working there was like, we told him about our film, and he was like, oh, yeah, did you guys screen your film today? Because, like ton of people came in right after they saw your movie and were like how can we help you you know let, let me buy something oh, so that was nice that felt that felt rewarding that um it moved people to to actually go to see to a space to to help you know to, to that's amazing them. well uh, we'll sign off now and we'll catch you up um when uh, the wackerman documentaries out oh no it's not going to be a documentary it's going to be a uh, superhero yeah. thing i can't imagine what that looks like yeah Something it's going like to be a whole you know it'll be a series and a feature film it's going to be you know like loki and thor yeah he's going to get the full the marvel treatment and there's going to be a ride at disneyland <laughs> i hear i'm confused by loki i just <laughs> think it would have been better just not being a loki film I don't know. Anyway, look, we haven't got time to talk about every Marvel <laughs> property. We'll talk again soon, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having us, Dan. How about those two chats just when you think I can't get any better? I go and one-up myself. AP Mike's audio recordings and merch can be purchased from apmike.bandcamp.com. Go there. The other music documentary made by Rob and Paloma can be found on Vimeo. It's only a few bucks, so I would definitely rent it. You're going to love it anyway, so don't complain. I've been putting up a load of clips from my interviews on YouTube. They're funny and interesting, and if you've got a few minutes, go over to YouTube, put in Slice Radio, no surprises there, and have a bit of a watch. It's fun. It won't kill you. Please do it. That's about it from me this week. Next time, you know, I'm just going to have some more fantastic interviews. So please join me and stay safe.